Good morning. I am delighted to be here. Like many of you, I grew up coming to Montreat. When I was in a youth group, we sat in the back left. When I was a youth director, we sat in the back right. And as a pastor, I have felt at home on every pew in this place. For as long as I can remember, our family has spent a week here, maybe two, every summer. Our girls have been clubbies since they were kindies, and this year one's on summer staff. I don't know about you, but I sometimes find it hard to explain Montreat to people who don't know it. Well, one of my favorite elders in the church I served in Greer was Nancy Welch. Some of you may remember Nancy. She owned the Glen Rock Inn here for a while. She served on the board at the South Carolina home. Like so many of us, Nancy loved it here. I remember we were at a presbytery meeting once, and she was inviting people to Montreat. It must have been like a minute for mission for Montreat or something. She stood up in front of the whole presbytery, and she said, you know, it's like my daddy used to say, Montreat, it's a lot like heaven. You get to see many people you hadn't seen in a while, and a few you weren't quite sure would make it. (laughs) I'm delighted that we've made it here for worship. I'm especially grateful for the music and the art that proclaims the word in ways that words cannot. As a preacher, I'm aware that there are some biblical texts, like the one I'll read from Luke in a moment, that are like a kaleidoscope. Sometimes you hold it up to the light and you see one thing. But then you hold it up the next day and you see something else. I'm also aware there are some texts, like today's psalm, that no matter the circumstances, no matter how you hold it in the light, it is always and forever a word of hope and comfort and peace. It is, in the midst of so much bad news, a word of good news. I don't know if today's psalm was written on the heart of the man in today's parable, but I like to think that it was weeping says the psalmist, may linger for the night, but joy, joy cometh in the morning. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your word is read and proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Listen now. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who sent me to be the judge or the arbitrator over you? He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then 
he told them a parable. The land of the rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Verse 16 says, Then Jesus told them a parable. My New, Testament, my New Testament professor, Dr. Stan Saunders, says that a parable is a story designed to make us think. It reveals and conceals. It disturbs us. It challenges us. It moves us. It helps us recognize the kingdom of God in this time, in this place. The parable that Jesus tells here isn't designed to solve the man's problem, but to let him know he has one. And so I thought this morning I would tell you a parable. My first year of ministry, I served as a hospice chaplain. I was at an inpatient hospice house. And all the rooms in the house were private rooms, except for we had two larger rooms on the ends. They each had two beds in them. And I will long remember one of my favorite patients from the end room on the left. His name was Mr. Jack Crawford. Now, Mr. Crawford was an elderly man with a wonderful sense of humor, wit, and wisdom. I liked him from day one when I arrived at his bedside and he said, Rev, you are going to help me move to the other side of the curtain. Since my Rev name badge also said chaplain, I asked if this was a metaphor. He said, no. <laughs> I am talking about this. And he pointed to an actual curtain separating his bed from the other one. I asked, why on earth would you want to move? He said, over there, there's a window. I nodded and said, well, there's also a patient. <laughs> I explained that the beds were assigned and, and you can't just decide to move. He said, listen, Rev, I'm here to kick off. I must have looked confused because he said, this is a hospice house. 
and all of us wearing these attractive backless gowns, we are here to kick off. And I'd prefer to do it on the other side, over there by the window, can you make that happen? <laughs> then he winked at me. I reiterated that there was someone already over there, and honestly, they don't give chaplains any decision-making authority. I said, maybe we should pray together. He said, fine, pray for me to get to move to the other side by the window. When I came back the next day, we discussed it again, and then again the next day, and I kept shaking my head no, and he kept telling me to work on it and also asking me to pray about it. Long story short, I wrote a report about how for the patient's spiritual health, he should be moved to the other side where he could enjoy the light and the beauty of God's creation. It was really just a view of the parking lot, but it really made him happy. And once he was over there, by the window, he settled into a routine, busying himself with dispensing wisdom and delegating the daily task of calling his banker to me. Apparently, in his mind, chaplain and personal assistant were one and the same, and one day after giving him his daily financial report, he said, Rev, can you even believe this? Can you even believe this? Here I am about to kick off next to a window, and I've got more money than I know what to do with. And well, he said, that's it. His tone changed. He said, I got a lot of should-haves. I got a lot of those. You know, I should have been a better father, better husband, better disciple. I mean, sure, I provided bread for my children, but I never really broke bread with them. I never really listened to them. I never really even laughed with them. Sure, I gave my wife all kinds of things. I gave her the finest jewelry. I gave her expensive clothes. I once gave her a mink coat that went all the way to the floor, but I never gave her my attention or my affection. He looked off in the distance and said, I remember once, um, I remember once she was in an accident on the highway, and when the officer called to tell me about it, I ask about the car before I ask about her. I worked, Rev. I worked hard. I worked hard so that I could buy more, have more, but I never gave more. I never gave more to my family or to my maker. I mean, I went to church. I heard sermons about God loving a cheerful giver, about how all good things come from God, about the call to tithe, to be good stewards. Nearly every week in worship, I stood and sang the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But here's the thing. I never believed it. I thought I earned it. I thought I deserved it. I thought it was mine, all mine. I wasn't a bad person, and I certainly was not a crook, he said. I was just self-centered. I was self-absorbed. And it wasn't just greedy. 
It was more than that. There's a New Testament Greek word for it, pleonexia, an insatiable desire for more. Do you know it? He asked. I didn't, but I pretended like I did. <laughs> pleonexia, an insatiable desire for more, always wanting more and craving more, more on top of more. William Barclay describes it as an accursed love of having. Do you know where that is in the Bible, Rev? He asked. No, I said. He said, there's a story in the Bible about a rich old fool. Look it up. <laughs> he said, it's about a man who talked to himself about himself. That man said, self, what should I do with the abundance of my possessions? And then he told himself that he should build a bigger barn. His insatiable desire for more, for things on the outside, even though it would never fix the things that were broken on the inside. You see that man, he was all about me, me, me. And you know what? So was I. But look at me now, all by myself. There's a song about that. He said, maybe we should sing it. I shook my head and he said, there's another song too. It's by the Beatles. Can't buy me love. You know it? I nodded and then he sang it. It's true, you know, he said. I told him I wasn't so sure because at the time, I was a chaplain resident, which means that I was barely making minimum wage. I was living in an apartment that had cinder block walls. At the time, we dreamed of having luxuries like our very own washer and dryer, the ability to buy name brand cereal, and having more than three channels on our TV. So I told Mr. Crawford about that, to which he said, enjoy it, Rev. The problem with this culture, this culture of ours, is it's got us acting all like a bunch of monkeys. I looked curious. He said he'd heard about it on his TV because he had more than three channels. <laughs> he said, do you know how farmers have been capturing monkeys for centuries? I said, I didn't. He said, monkeys, they are smart and they are quick, but they are even more greedy. He said, for centuries, farmers have known that you can take a gourd and cut a hole in it, a hole that is small enough for the monkey to fit their hand through. And then they put sweet nuts down inside. And when he said that, I pictured nuts like the kind inside of a pecan pie. And he said, the farmers, they put them down in there and the monkeys crave them. And then sooner or later, the monkey comes and walks by and he smells the nuts and they want them. So they put their little hand through the hole and they grab a fistful of them. And when they try to pull their hand back out, they can't because the hole, it is small enough for them to put their empty hand through, but not big enough for them to take a fist out of. So then they're stuck. Now you would think at this point, the monkey would realize, hey, drop the nuts. But they don't, because they want them. 
They want them so badly that they stumble around, stuck, struggling, till the farmer comes and catches them. Poor little monkey. Dies of plea nexia. The insatiable desire for more. Nuts, he said. It's the story of my life. Listen, Rev, he said, someday I predict that you're going to be the pastor of a church. And all of your people are going to be suffering from this. You're going to have it too. You're going to be worried if you're saving enough for retirement. You're going to be worried if you have enough saved for your kids to go to college. You won't be able to help it because it's just part of the culture. Our economy is dependent upon us talking to ourselves about ourselves, convincing ourselves that what we all need to do is build a bigger barn. And everybody's stuck, everybody's struggling, everybody's stumbling around just like a bunch of monkeys trying to keep hold of the stuff of our lives, dizzy from trying to be in charge, gripping our life and our work and our money rather than offering it up to God. You know what else he said? As a rev, you're going to get to be with a lot of those people when they're about to kick off. Some of them next to a window, but some of them not, he said, and You're going to hear all kinds of things, confessions. And I bet you never once hear someone say, you know what? I wish I'd build a bigger barn, kept more for myself. Death has a way of clarifying things. You know that, Rev? God gave us people to love and things to use, and, well, we've confused the two. So tell your people, tell them about plea nexia, the insatiable desire for more, and tell them it won't just cause them to get stuck and stumble and struggle, but in the end, it'll leave us all by ourselves. Tell them as people of faith, the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the insatiable desire for more should be for more relationship from the one from whom all blessings flow. Tell them early. Tell them before they end up next to a window. Tell them to loosen their grip because none of it belongs to them. All of it. The nuts, the money, the time, the talent. It all belongs to God who's just entrusted it to our care. Calls us to offer it up. And listen up, because this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, well, whose will they be? And he looked off in the distance, and he said, tell them. Tell the people about how you met an old fool about to kick off next to a window, and about how he told you. A parable. Jesus was always telling parables, y'all. They're designed to make us think. They're supposed to disturb us, challenge us, move us, help us recognize the kingdom of God in this time, in this place.
Amen.